We'd like to welcome you back to part two of our current event and weekly Bible study for March 11, 2018. Next report is entitled, U.S. government is trying to use psychiatric drugs and the violence they produce to confiscate firearms from all law-abiding citizens. The correlation between psychiatric drugs and random acts of violence and homicide is well documented as the Food and Drug Administration requires black box warnings on the inserts of psycho psychotropic drugs with regard to their relationship to violent behavior. You, you remember the expression, oh, I'm going to go postal? Well, that was because of the postal service people that had there was that time period where you had all these postal workers going crazy and like committing like, you know, these shootings or whatever in the post offices and stuff of this. This was a white ways back. Every single one of those cases, they were all on, on psychotropic meds. Something like Prozac or most likely Prozac or some derivation. And you know, it's crazy about that is the main ingredient in those is fluoride, sodium fluoride. Because they know it makes you go crazy. But it, it's the, the crazy thing is, is that it can also make you very, very docile if given to you in enough doses. And that's why they used it in the Nazi concentration camps uh, to make the Jews docile. But evidently, they've got it tweaked now where in Prozac, and I'm sure there's some other stuff in there that maybe activates it, where it can actually make you go postal and go crazy and, and increases your risk of suicide. I don't even know how much. And um, it just makes all these things exponentially go off the chart as far as violent behavior, potentially. Not for everybody, but for a certain percentage, it does. Because if everybody was doing it, then they obviously they couldn't get away with it. Also, America has seen hundreds of cases where high-profile acts of mass murder, which were committed by individuals under the influence of psychiatric drugs. Former President Obama would have, would have you believe that we need to ban guns when, in fact, it would be a lot safer if we ban psychotropic medications instead. We're going to talk a lot more about this today. Now, if you want to know more about this, here's a link, the undeniable link between psychotropic drugs and school shootings. Now, remember, again... I don't think every single case, yeah, do I think Nicholas Cruz was, was probably heavily met? Sure, but I don't believe the official narrative that he was the lone gunman that went in there and when it, all these students were reporting two to three gunmen and all the other things that we've went over at, in ad finitum about this whole thing. So, uh, but they never talk about that. No, it's it's all fine. He, he could be on 3,000 meds and, and it's it's all good. That wasn't the problem. The problem was the gun. The problem was the gun. Always just blame the gun. That's just what we need to do. Next report. Ex-military teacher exposes Parkland shooting narrative. Now, I don't want to dwell too much on this because we've done extensively on, a lot on this extensively, but here's a different take. The teacher named John Bochelle explains both his military and education background before going to a step-by-step -step through all the inconsistencies of an official narrative of the Parkland shooting including claims of multiple shooters, CNN's readiness to turn the tragedy into a gun debate, uh, the decision by the country to demolish the school. Oh, yeah, we're going to demolish the building. Why? Well, because then there's no chance of, you know, any evidence that might exist or any recollection of buildings or this or that. or, or the, there were, I saw shoot a, a gunman here, a gunman there. No, no, the building's going to be gone, so that can't ever happen. You know, how how incredibly convenient that is. So let's go ahead and listen to this. Spending a stint in the military. I was a teacher. Sorry. A coach. And later became an administrator. 
Like most athletic males, I was assigned as part of the school security team. Eventually, I was trained by the Department of Homeland Security, several sheriff's departments, and the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, GBI. Prior, I was trained in the military. I was a combat crew member and a certified marksman with both rifles, pistols, M16, and 40 caliber Colt. With an oak leaf cluster, multiple awards, I was a likely person to help with school security and had an extensive background in technology and video surveillance as well. I held an SCI security clearance, which is the very highest we have in America. I say these things to help you understand my background and to weigh my opinion as to the events in Parkview, Florida, 30 minutes from my home where I live, now retired from school administration. As an administrator in charge of a large high school of 1,800 students and 140 employees, I held tabletop exercises and wrote publications and helped with multiple school and multi-jurisdictional school systems training as a developer and a presenter. Never did I hear from, receive information from, or was contacted by, read any publications or gathered statistics from the United States Secret Service. Not once, ever. Yet three weeks prior to the shooting in Florida, the United States Secret Service was not only at the school, they held the training. I talked to one of my teachers. Uh, in fact, it was the same teacher that I ended up being with, um, you know, yesterday when all of this went down. And he said that the Secret Service came and trained them on what the new safety protocols would be. I have also, despite actually... And we played that audio of that student that went there, and the Secret Service were there three weeks so many red flags about this, it just defies the imagination. ...a school shooting by an armed predator at my school. I've never seen, spoke with, or was interviewed, or contacted by the FBI or the United States Secret Service. It's worthy to note that the 911 response time was... So this guy was in charge of a whole high school. And what he's basically saying here is, I never was contacted by the FBI, was never contacted by the Secret Service, and yet they had all this Secret Service, all this FBI activity. CNN was Johnny on the spot there. Then they had their little, their gigantic town hall meeting, and they only they only gave the let the official narrative come from the students. All their all their parents had some kind of law enforcement background. The the, the uh, David Hogg kid was seen in California like six months earlier on a local news report and then he was seen in front of a cnn desk after that and now all of a sudden he's in this school and he's giving this official narrative blow by blow during it while it's happening and it's absolute total gun control stuff while the supposed shooting's happening and then he identifies nicholas cruz as the main suspect when that hadn't even been released yet according to the timestamps. i mean this is so evil and so wicked and so satanic i just want to expose it as much as i can Access of 20 minutes. In fact, I was only contacted by a few reporters. No reporters ever contacted my students for interviews or opinions. I never spoke to a national law enforcement agent, much less the United States Secret Service. So to hear the FBI were the first responders, only beating CNN by minutes, in a wealthy Florida area saturated with law enforcement shocked me. Seeing the amazing amount of CNN coverage, so well organized and all espousing one message, and only one message, and this was the night where it was 5,000 against one, the one NRA, Dana Loesch, representative there. And basically, they just wanted her there as a punching bag, a, a source of angered vitriol. They were saying, burn her. Uh, the, the crowd was chanting, burn her. And um, she said if she didn't have private security, they would have literally probably killed her and lynched her 
right there because they're so loving and kind and wonderful. Uh, and it was basically 5,000 against one that night. You know, CNN likes to stack the deck because they're cowards and devils. Troubling. Seeing a student saying she actually walked with the shooter while evacuating and heard shots shocked me. You were walking down the hall. He had already fired at that time. Yes, sir, with him. Remember, she didn't say yes, sir, he had fired. She said yes, sir, with him, meaning she was walking down the hall with him. As far as she knew, he hadn't fired anything. Where had he shed all of his tactical gear while the shootings were still going on? Why wasn't that ever seen or identified or brought out? And Of course, they could, they could rig that real easy. Well, this was what he was wearing, but they never even did that. It was just so sloppy, so many aspects of this. She had no reason to fear because the shooting was taking place in another part of the building. She could hear it, and she was with this kid. She knew he wasn't the one that did it. Weren't you scared? Um, in the moment, I wasn't because there was obviously definitely another shooter involved. You think there was more than... She was At that point, she was going along with the narrative saying there was definitely another shooter involved, but she didn't want to contradict what the reporter was saying. But as far as she knew at the time, this kid had nothing to do with it. There was more than one shooter. So this girl's saying there were three shooters and they interviewed right afterward. Seeing video of a student. Now remember, this is a video that never made it on the lamestream media. This was a this was a cell phone over the over the reporter of uh, the reporter that was doing the the report, and this is a cell phone footage of this girl saying there was three shooters, and and so they can't contain everything like they're trying to. Us, she was told they would have a drill that day with actors. Deeply troubles me. Yeah. Yeah, they did that so that they said they 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 wanted that they they were told there was going to be live shooting drills. They're going to be using blanks with actors in the school, and like this ever happens in in high schools, and that this was just going to be normal. And what it did is it got everybody to believe that oh, this is no big deal. They're just doing this live shoot. They're really, man, they're really pulling all the stops for this drill, man. I mean, I hear guns and stuff. People are like dying and stuff in the halls, and they're, they must be using blood packs or something to simulate real blood. And they were doing that so that it would diffuse the situation. People wouldn't be panicking, and that they would just be all the more uh, like fitting, uh, killing um, fish in a barrel because they'd be thinking, well, they're not real bullets, they're just blanks. They did it on purpose. See, they said it was it was a drill before where they would just be shooting blanks. That's another student. Seeing the same young man over and over who visited CNN that day and whose father is an FBI agent troubles me. Seeing and hearing the same narratives over and over that conflict with every aspect of training and experience I have is extremely unsettling. I same sock puppets CNN keeps rolling out these little... I don't know if they're MK Ultra mind control slaves or whatever, or they're just paid little crisis actors, or derivation of both. I don't know, but um, you didn't see any of these other kids that were interviewed that were saying there was three shooters. There's two. They they were never re-interviewed. Okay, um, the one guy got the interview of the blonde hair girl that said she was right next to the guy. He was like doing something for like spring training from like the Texas, I don't know, maybe Rangers or whatever. And that's why he was there. He got the report 
that there was an active shooter, and that's why he went there. So it's not a normal guy they would have expected to show up to be doing interviews. Remember, they couldn't contain it all. That's how he got that interview, and why he, you know, why they couldn't suppress that footage, because it got out before they could they could edit it, I guess. Video interviews of students claiming multiple shooters. This is troubling as well. I realize that the shooter apparently pulled the fire alarm to create chaos and provide a richer target environment. That alarm would have sent a signal to its precise time and location. At least one interview I watched was a student saying her doorknob was rattled and she heard a voice saying, go try another door. So in other words, there was had to be two people there. Is the guy going to talk to himself? Oh, go. He's, he's by himself. Okay, Nicholas, Nicholas Cruz. He rattles the door to try to get in because they were on lockdown because they'd heard shots. And he says to himself, oh, go try another door. No, there was another person there saying go try another door because there were at least two shooters there waiting to kill people. From what I could gather, there was at least three. And from, the, from what I saw coming out the back in that one footage of the white truck, which he doesn't even get into, it looked like there was four people dressed all in black. They had a gigantic duffel bag coming out of the school. What were they? What were they? Just exactly described how the one teacher said, what are the police doing here when she saw, right before she got grazed in the arm with a bullet and got back in her thing and shut the door and locked it. Or I guess it probably automatically locked. I don't know. This needs exploration. In my utterly qualified expert opinion, there are several troubling facts being dispensed that I refuse to accept. Some of them are, why was the shooter visited 39 times by local law enforcement, but never placed on a watch list? Why was his extensive school discipline not compiled and then presented to the school board for total expulsion from the schools? See, that's that's sketchy because I had heard that he was expelled a year before. Did he get back in? I mean, I don't know. Maybe he did. But either way, they made sure he was at school that day because he was the perfect one to blame for this whole thing and he was their patsy that was going to be blamed for every single bit of this ahead of time and then they're just going to say oh we dropped the ball sorry why was the fbi first to respond when the school is so close to the police department and an officer with a radio was supposedly on campus how did cnn have so many kids in place to echo their exact verbiage and focus on the actual weapon and not the shooter why isn't the alleged United States Secret Service involvement in a public school being examined? Who is this reoccurring student that has family in the FBI? That's are, David Hogg. Are the interviews that do not agree with the one shooter or the narrative that CNN is pushing being heard? Why aren't the multiple videos available? With the floor plan that I have seen, I would have had approximately 22 cameras in that building. The reason he says I would have approximately 22 cameras is because he was a school administrator, like principal, over a school of, I don't know what he said, like 1,800 students or whatever, high school, for, for years and years and years. So knowing the logistics of the inner workings of a school, he would have had that many cameras in there if he was the principal, and, the, and I'm sure they were there. But you're never going to see any of that footage because it would contradict the official narrative because you'd see multiple shooters, you know. SWAT team type people going and mowing down children. So they, they don't want to show that. Over 140 in my school. I realize that some of the videos will be used for the trial of the shooter. However, it is in the interest of the public to see some of the unused footage that is available. Why was the United States Secret Service at this school providing training three weeks prior? And how was the weakest, sloppiest, and most often not on real location news company all over this son of the FBI agent 
with an amazing and uncanny ability to find a news camera in multiple states. I mean, here he is in California being interviewed like six months before. He's living there in California. Okay, but now he's this exact kid is out in what's going on in the last six months. Did this infamous teenager actually graduate already? Has the United States Secret Service ever been to any other schools to supervise and provide training for an active shooter situation? How could the United States Secret Service possibly visit all 22,000 high schools in the United States? And how would they be chosen? Who identified this shooter? It was just dumb and luck. And how did law enforcement... Just dumb luck. All of it. it was just big, gigantic, dumb luck coincidence. That's all it was... That's what we're that's what we're being told to believe. Secret Service being there. Yeah, okay, right. Enforcement track him to the retail store he was arrested at. Why has the entire CNN narrative been to attack the Second Amendment when at least three government institutions, possibly five if you count DFACS, failed miserably to help the mentally ill? Why has the school district decided to demolish this building like they did at Sandy Hook if their narrative is true and correct? Why not allow the forensics to be published and to be explored completely? All in all, my professional opinion is this stinks to the high heavens. Either we are surrounded by the most incompetent news people in the world who don't ask questions or give a damn about these murders or have no concept of why this happened and will happen again soon. I, for one, am sick to death of the fake news outlets pretending that this is about a rifle. It's not. It's about a mentally ill person, totally abandoned and discarded and politically expediently ignored by multiple agencies allowed to commit inhumane acts of terror due to incompetence. Johnny Bravo at John Bouchel. He's just a patsy. That's all he is. Um, okay, so we have that. And um, let's go to the next report. Pennsylvania and Hawaii begin gun confiscation of medical marijuana users. Now, these are people that are legally getting this to treat a medical condition. Okay? But, and this is what I believe about the whole uh, legalization of, of, of marijuana, particularly any gun owners. You go into one of those dispensaries or whatever and you buy this stuff and you're in the database and that's all the reason they're going to need to confiscate your guns. Pennsylvania and Hawaii are making moves to confiscate the guns of medical marijuana users. A Pennsylvania state police statement on their uh, said on their website citing federal law tells mar medical marijuana cardholders, quote, it is unlawful for you to keep possession of any firearms which you owned or had in your possession prior to obtaining a medical marijuana card. Now, it's fine. You can go out and, 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 and uh, get tanked up beyond belief. You can drink a fifth of whiskey every night. That's fine. Because, you know, even though that there's, you know, a thousand times more chance you're going to get violent doing that. Typically, marijuana users don't get, like, violent. You know what I mean? Um, now, I've done a whole study on, on this, and we're going to expand on this today. And I've done a whole study before where I gave you one aspect of the marijuana and, and um, how sometimes occultists will use it and, and, and the, the whole stoner thing and people using it to get high and baked out of their brains. We've looked at that, okay? We're going to look at the more of the medical side today of that. Uh, this is, I just see this as being an absolute 
total tyranny because again you could go out and, and drink a fifth of whiskey every day you could go out and and do a lot of things that are um well you know obviously alcohol is legal you're not going to get your firearms taken away okay but if you have a medical marijuana card now you 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 don't have any right to own firearms in pennsylvania and in hawaii and then it says uh, in this statement from the Pennsylvania State Police, and you should consult an attorney about the best way to dispose of your firearms. This is absolute, total, stinking tyranny. You know, when I say you get tomorrow's news today uh, here on InfoWars. Again, not an endorsement of Alex Jones, but he's the only one I saw that really covered this in particular. And there wasn't a lot on this. Um, there's one other thing I see up here. Hawaii targets legal gun owners with sneaky confiscation bill. And that's Joe, Joe, uh, Biggs did that one. Um, who's not at InfoWars anymore. So there's another one. There's some places like 1530 in Chicago. It's because I'm aware of their operations. When Soros, about 20 years ago, began promoting medical marijuana and marijuana decriminalization, I was for it, but not with Soros running it. Are the Democrats involved in now more than 20 states? Because No, this is all about getting you into a database. If George Soros is for something, you know that, that there's a very evil, nefarious agenda behind it. And it, this is all about getting you into a database so they can get your guns. They do is, when the forms get you to waive your rights and basically say that you are mentally deficient in at least 12 of those states and a few months ago people didn't believe me when i read the headlines out of the ninth circuit the same court that says the american flags banned in those states that, that that schools can say you can't wear it it's a it's a hate symbol they they said in hawaii if you have a medical marijuana card or you've ever gotten legal marijuana you can't have guns because the ninth circuit says you are mentally deficient you uh, have declared yourself incompetent, just like they tried to have gun bills that said that if you were getting Social Security or you were getting Medicare or Medicaid, you were couldn't own your gun. People didn't believe me. That's what they were arguing. Well, here it is. Out of KDKA2, Pennsylvania, this is happening in a bunch of states right now. And I say 12, 14, 15, I don't, it's so many, the articles are every day. It's happening in every medical marijuana state. They're taking people's kids because they smoke marijuana. Now, I didn't get any evidence of that, but it would make sense. I mean, that they're going to start coming after the gun. Remember, everything we're looking at today is all this little nipping at your heels, incremental stuff to get our guns. 18 to 20 year olds turning your guns. You know, that fix nicks thing that they the congressman was talking about. The, the, the veterans thing where, okay, if you admit to whatever, uh, somebody else uh, uh, controlling your finances, you got to turn in your gun. All of this stuff is incrementalism, and they're seeing how much the American populace will actually put up with these, 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 these knock and talk, gun, gun confiscation, beta testing things that they're doing. Okay, All of this is getting beta testing us to see how much we will put up with. I just say decriminalize it. Does it have some problems? Absolutely. Does it have some good things for medical stuff? Yeah. 
But you shouldn't be persecuting those that go to a doctor and get the medical reason. We'll get mad. We're going to look extensively at the medical aspect of medical marijuana today. I've never done a study on that. I've had a lot of requests to do that. Okay, and that's what we're going to be looking at after this report. You'll be able to take on this in a moment, but in case you think I'm joking, I warned people of this 20 years ago. So get tomorrow's news 20 years ago. And by the way, we're not just saying that. I give you examples now. We've got a clip again where we said a month ago, Warren Hatch is going to retire and Mitt Romney would run his place. Because Stone talked to another senator that was that they had dinner with him. So, I mean, just you name it, that's why they hate us. That's our value to you and ourselves, and everybody is. We'll report the truth. Mainstream media could have all this stuff, but they do what they're told when they're told. We don't. Big difference. And we try to tell the truth. Doesn't mean we don't make mistakes, but we want to be the guys that tell the truth. We want to be... I'm very dog-like, as everybody knows. I, I, I'm very dutiful. I'm very loyal. But you turn on me, then I'm going to attack you. And that's the way Americans are supposed to be. But let's just get back to this. Will PA gun owners have to give up their firearms to get medical marijuana? Because they're now announcing you will have them taken if you already have it. But they didn't tell you that up front, did they? Here it is. Pennsylvania state police officials are stirring up protest among Pennsylvania gun owners who are also potential medical marijuana patients. It disturbs me greatly to see the Pennsylvania State Police put on their website references to federal law while ignoring the fact that it is legal under Pennsylvania law. Patrick Nightingale is a gun owner, a criminal defense attorney, and a recent applicant for a medical marijuana card. What disturbs Nightingale is a state police statement on their website citing federal law telling medical marijuana cardholders, quote, it is unlawful for you to keep possession of any firearms which you owned or had in your possession prior to obtaining a medical marijuana card. And you should consult an attorney about the best way to dispose of your firearms. All right, let's stop there. Let's just stop right there. Let me show you the Ninth Circuit ruling or any article. Just type in uh, medical marijuana users in Hawaii must turn in guns. That was a couple months ago. I, I was trying to tell the Joe Rogan audience that they didn't even believe me, okay? Honolulu Police Department, medical marijuana users have 30 days to turn on their guns, police say. Ninth Circuit, the most liberal court, because I've seen it in the news saying Trump's doing it. And I'm not defending Trump. Sessions has announced marijuana forfeiture, ignoring state laws. It's horrible. It goes back on Trump's promises. He's, it's terrible. It's one of the few things Trump's been breaking his promises on, like Afghanistan or vaccines. Uh, Matt Dubiel, uh, what do you make of this idiot misstep by Trump not being popular, not following his gut, and Sessions out of control? Meanwhile, the Democrats are literally 50 times worse. And look what it's tied to. Gun control. Trump gun control. Hmm. It's weird. We've seen a pattern here. We've seen a 180 really since the start of the year because this was this was published on January 4th of this year. So um, I, I don't know. I mean, Trump's really going along with this so far. Literally taking the kids and the guns of marijuana legal users. <laughs> and the left doesn't even care. I, it's, it's insane. I'll say Trump's wrong. I'll say the left's wrong. Why can't they just be honest? 
What about Prozac? What about Prozac and the SSRIs exactly. and all of the other uh, SS? Yeah, I mean, even thyroid medication that people are on. If you want to come take the guns, maybe you should take them. For, I'm not saying you should take them from anybody. But, but if these are mass murder people. suicide pills. I said on Pierce Morgan, mm -hmm. they say on the Prozac right. spectrum drugs, it will cause you to be a homicidal killer or commit suicide and megalomania. Right. What people or it could do that. It's not going to cause, but it could. Those are, you know, and, and the, you know, marijuana is not going to do that. I've been around enough people, done it myself, to know it's not going to elicit that type of reaction. Okay. It's going to elicit pretty much the opposite reaction. I'm not giving some blanket endorsement of it. I'm just saying that it's not going to cause that. Yet these other things will do that. Alcohol has been totally linked to, um, especially, you know, abusing it or drinking excessive amounts has been absolutely linked to violent behavior. And a lot of these other ones, these other drugs too. Um, but no, they're all they're concerned about is marijuana. Even though they're getting it legally for a health condition, a medical condition, that doesn't matter. You forfeited all rights to have firearms at this point. Need to realize is is they don't have the wherewithal to go after the Second Amendment the way that you're supposed to, which is if you want to change it, amend the Constitution. That's how you change. It. They can't do that. They know they can't do that. They know that will never happen. We won't let it happen. So instead, they go in these roundabout ways right. and have gun-free zones, and then they make these little rules where if you opt in for this thing that you want, you want the weed? Okay, cool. You can here, here is a report on the Daily Mail. Could antidepressants make you violent? Young people who take drugs, including Prozac, are 50, and these are psychotropic-type drugs, are 50% more likely to be convicted of assault and murder. SSRI drugs include Prozac, Sarazac, Lustral, Ciprolex, and Cipramil. Experts believe adolescent brains are more sensitive to drug interference. Um, <laughs> I mean, this is absolute total insanity. Weed, but you got to give us your gun. Don't do it. Keep the state out of your life. And I you're remember have an Mark Cornkey of the Michigan militia would always say, once they collapse the economy, they'll make, take your guns for food. I thought, yeah, that makes sense. That's happened in third world countries. Here it's, have your weed, just give us your guns. As if a marijuana smoker, they're known for getting fat, eating Hot Pockets, playing video games, <laughs> and playing World of Warcraft. They're not known for committing crime or being violent. Well, just wait until you have the universal uh, payment where everybody's an employee of the state. The first thing they're going to make you do when that happens is you're going to have to turn in your guns and you're going to have to turn in your other Because freedom. Because you're, just like they said, if you're on Medicare or Medicaid, you are forfeit. You're a ward of the state. You're not a person because we pay for you. Exactly. Yep. You're ours. Get in line. You're one of the minions. And if you want that, if you want to live in a world like that, there's other places where that's happening. Why don't you just go there? That's my, I don't understand why people want to want to try and implode the United States Oh, yeah, did States you see the America? number two in the Democratic Party put out an Antifa brochure and said, we need to do this, calling for violence. I mean, like, dude, go to North Korea, jerk. Yeah, these places already exist. You can go there. It's like it's like finding a crappy restaurant. If you want to uh, make the restaurant serve crappy, go to the one that's already crappy. Go to uh, Venezuela. Go to uh, Cuba. Go to these other failed regimes and failed countries and see for yourself. By the way, it used firsthand. to be super rich, cool places. It used to be beautiful. Because there's this but, argument that brown people can't have money or build anything. Argentina, uh, uh, Venezuela, Cuba, 
had bigger middle class than we had. It's all gone. It's all blown up. It's all destroyed, just like we're about to be. Yeah, it's um, I, I would never you people that want the medical marijuana and all that. You got to really look into it. I did this with concealed carry. You know that you can get the concealed carry cards. And I've been leery and thinking about it for years because I thought, well, this seems like they are trying to get me to do this in exchange for something right. later. What will that price be later? Yes. What am I paying for? How am I giving something up? It's not always going to be I'm getting something out of it. They've, they've yeah. got something when a known Nazi collaborator that says he's proud of being a Nazi on 60 Minutes is pushing for you to get medical marijuana, I just that's said, George Soros, and he was proud that he actually turned in the other his other uh, Jewish compatriots. And when they asked him, "Well, didn't you feel bad?" He's like, "Oh no, no, not not at all, not at all." He had no. I mean, he was an absolute total vessel of Satan from his inception. I mean, he it was there. There was never any doubt about it. And he was proud of it. He he, he loves it. He loves evil. Make it legal. To, don't trust this guy. But of course, we find out it's a way to get our guns. Good lord! We'll be back with Matt Dubio. I'm Alex Jones. Infowars.com. Stay with us. Okay, I think that's all we have on that one. So we will go to the next report here. Now, since we brought this subject up, uh, and I've had a lot of requests to do a teaching on this i'm going to go segue into medical medical applications and benefits of, of both cbd oil and cannabis now cbd oil um, is one basically component of cannabis uh, it's one there's the thc and there's the cbd and i'm not saying there's not a lot of probably other compounds in there but those are the ones you always hear about this is very very interesting um it's called the endocannabinoid system the endocannabinoid system okay cannabis has been used for thousands of years both now granted this is not some big blanket wreck i'm looking at the medical aspects i'm not talking about yeah man this is like an excuse for you to go out and get high and get baked every day and escape from reality i already did a teaching on that Okay, I already did a teaching where I had roommates in college that got high multiple times per day, drove me absolutely nuts because uh, they would forget stuff. And these are people that were smoking it like multiple times per day. Got up, smoked it, smoked it in the day, smoked it before they went to bed. And, and it did affect them in a very, I, I perceived in a very negative way. Yeah, were they more mellow or whatever? Yeah. Um, but their motivation level was not where I really believe it needed to be, especially trying to get in through chiropractic college. I mean, you had to, it was not easy. We were taking double full loads, you know, like 25 credit hours a semester on average. Plus we had to see patients in clinic toward the end and that wasn't easy, you know, and then just having just the rest of your life go. And some people even had jobs. So, um, you know, listen, I grew up around this stuff. My, my parents had a duffel bag full of this stuff in their closet when I was growing up. A du I mean, it wasn't like a big, gigantic, but it was probably a duffel bag about, uh, I don't know, 17, 18 inches long, about 12 inches high, maybe about 10 inches, 12 inches wide, and it was full of pot. Full. Okay. I grew my fam, my mom and dad did it. My my family did it. I mean, I grew up around this stuff. My other extended family, they were always getting high. So I have had a a lot of my friends in high school. 
I personally never gravitated to the stuff. I've never really liked, because I don't really, I never liked, and I'm talking even before I was saved, I never liked the feeling of that, that just like, I just want to sit here and zone out and chill out. And I didn't, I don't like that. I mean, I have enough problem with wanting to have good, vibrant energy. I've never been a high energy individual. I want to be more so. And I've done a lot of supplementation that's helped that a lot. But the last thing I really ever wanted was to, you know, go bake on a couch somewhere and eat a Hot Pocket in, in you know, my mom's basement or whatever. <laughs> you know, like the whole classic cliches thing and play video games or whatever. I was never about that. A lot of my friends were. I ran with a kind of a, more the rougher crowd in, in high school, went to a Catholic high school. And this was far before I ever got save my roommates in chiropractic college two of them were you know always getting high i never had any desire even before i was saved really not to say i never did it but it was almost like yeah on the rare occasion i guess or whatever but i really don't like the way it makes me feel you know um type of thing so that's kind of my background on it. if you want to know more you can research the other teaching i did you can just get in smoking because I got into tobacco as well. I've done one on vaping. Uh, I think I've combined the smoking one, the tobacco and the marijuana together. Now, this is a different aspect. This is on the medical aspects of um, marijuana. And this doesn't necessarily mean smoking it either. We're going to be looking at that as well. But this endocannabinoid system, cannabis has been used for thousands of years, both recreationally and medically. People all over the world know the effects of cannabis, yet until 20 years ago, no one really knew how it worked in our bodies. In the early 1990s, research scientists identified a system they named the endocannabinoid system. This system is located in our brains and bodies. The system is made up of cell receptors and of the chemicals that bind to these receptors. This system has been identified in some of the most primitive creatures on Earth. It has been found to be most widespread receptor system. It's the most widespread receptor system in the human body. Now the thing is, is God, God is the one that is the author of the, of the endocannabinoid system because he made us this way. Okay. Um, so that's what's so like in, uh, amazing about this i guess because we've got this this endocannabinoid system built into our own bodies and is the most widespread receptor system in the human body uh this is explain this explains why cannabis has so many different effects let me just see if i got all that yeah um the endocannabinoid system appears to regulate many important physiologic pathways in the human body including gastrointestinal activity cardiovascular activity pain perception maintenance of bone mass protecting of neurons uh, hormonal regulation metabolism control immune function inflammatory reactions and the inhibition of tumor cells wow the cannabinoid receptor system has two kinds of receptors uh cb cb1 receptors are found mostly in the brain the spinal cord and other parts of the body including the heart uterus testes liver small intestine and peripheral cells i believe also in the eyes as well cb2 receptors mostly found in, in cells of the immune system including the spleen t cells b cells and macrophages a group of compounds called cannab 
cannabinoids bind to the receptors. Cannabinoids come in three different um, places. There's the endocannabinoids. These are produced by the body on demand, usually in response to an injury. So we actually produce these in our own body on demand, usually in response to injury. Five different endocannabinoids have been identified, including anadamide and AG and 2-AG. And then there's synthetic cannabinoids. These are produced by scientists in the laboratory and include um, dronabinol, which is also called marinol, and nabilone. Um, so those are synthetic ones, basically like drugs they've made. And then there's the phytocannabinoids. Now, if you know anything about me, you know that I'm always like, okay, let's try to stay away from the synthetics if we can. All drugs are, are typically synthetic derivations of something that naturally occurs in nature. Okay, let's, what, what example? Most easiest one would be aspirin, okay, which is derived from basically white willow bark, which the um, drug companies came a long time ago and said, well, we can't patent white willow bark because it's natural, so we can't make all kind of money. So let's change it into something synthetic, something that'll have actually a lot of side effects, but something that we can patent and make a lot of money off. And let's turn it into acetosalicylic acid, okay, which is aspirin. Aspirin is one of the number one, I think it's the number one cause of macular degeneration and also contributes greatly to stomach ulcers if you do it on a regular basis. Even a baby aspirin is not good. You'd be much better off doing something like natokinase, which is just a enzyme that will keep your blood thin, uh, way more safer than even doing a baby aspirin on a daily basis. Natokinase, one of the products I carry, you take it on an empty stomach and it keeps your blood thin and it also has a mild deplacking effect of the arteries whereas baby aspirin doesn't do that at all and has side effects so that's just an example of a, a phyto uh, something that they took in nature there, were, there was nothing wrong with it white willow bark and they turned it into a drug so they could patent it and so it had side effects and so that you would have to end up taking more drugs to counteract that side effect if you took it on a regular basis so uh the third classification, phytocannabinoids, these are produced by the cannabis plant. There are over 85 cannabinoids in the cannabis plant, 85, including THC and cannabidol uh, as the main two. The cannabinoids interact with the receptors much like a lock and key. The receptor is the lock and the cannabinoid molecule is the key. When the cannabinoid key attaches to the receptor lock located in the cell wall, a reaction is triggered resulting in the effect on brain and body. For instance, the area of the brain that controls memories is called the amygdala. When cannabinoids bind to the receptors of the cells in the amygdala, memory is affected. For those suffering from post-traumatic stress events who relive horrible memories, such as tr post-traumatic stress disorder, like somebody that was maybe abused as a child or went to war and had all kind of horrific memories, the triggering of the cannabinoid receptor appears to change the brain function and the memories are minimized, meaning cannabis in that type of scenario can help that help minimize that um the study using weekly radioactive thc like synthetic drugs investigated where the human cannabinoid receptors were located when people were given this radioactive drug and their brains were scanned the cbd1 receptors were, were found all over the brain so they're all over the brain now god did this not man so those receptors are there and the actual phytochemical cannabinoids of the cannabis plant 
will actually act as a lock and key for those receptors that God put there. Now, again, I'm not giving this some like red blanket. Yeah, let's all go out and get high, man, and just escape from. This is not what this is about. But I'm talking about we're talking about medical applications here, and it's undeniable that those receptors are there and they're all over the body, and it's the largest receptor pathway, the largest group of receptors in the body. So evidently, they're pretty important. And if you don't believe it, here's all the references of this. They're all medical studies and stuff um, about that. So continuing on uh, with more information about the subject, from heart disease to liver disease to elevated cancer risks, excessive alcohol consumption can indeed be devastating to a person's overall health. What we're going to do is a little comparison. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, there are roughly 88,000 deaths attributed to alcohol use, really it would be alcohol abuse, each year in the United States. <clears throat> in 2000, So 88,000 deaths per year just from alcohol. In 2006, and that's just in the U.S., who knows what the statistics would be like worldwide. In 2006, the CDC reported there were 1.2 million emergency room visits. <laughs> wow. 1.2 million emergency room visits. Because we just talked about 88,000 deaths, but this is just emergency room visits in one year. Just in 2006. And 2.7 million physician office visits due to excessive alcohol use. 2.7 million office visits. <clears throat> on top of the 1.2 million emergency room visits due to excessive alcohol abuse. On top of the 88,000 deaths per year. Similarly, there is a laundry list of well-documented adverse health effects related to tobacco use, which actually eclipses alcohol um, <clears throat> as far as deaths. <clears throat> which harms nearly every organ in the body and causes the deaths of almost 480,000 people in the U.S. annually. Tobacco. I'm, I'm assuming all tobacco products combined. You know, not just cigarettes, but, you know, cigars and pipes and, and chewing tobacco and dip. I mean, like school and Copenhagen, those types of things. <clears throat> It only causes 480,000 people to die annually. Now, they put a lot of other stuff in the tobacco, which makes it more addictive. And particularly if you burn it, then you have different chemicals cross-combining, which are also addictive. And so if they were actually using like an organic tobacco, I, I would imagine the deaths would be way, way less. But remember, it's all about a depopulation agenda. It's all about getting you addicted and hooked onto something that Satan wants you to be putting in your body you can't live without okay so now granted you're not going to show up in the emergency room from tobacco most likely unless you're just on your way out from the death itself that it's causing in you okay whereas alcohol would be more propensity to show up in an emergency room because you can you know you can drink a ton and then obviously have alcohol poisoning and then wind up in the emergency room <clears throat> so <laughs> I mean, these are some heavy-duty statistics. Still, in what is likely thousands of years of human consumption, there have been no documented deaths as a result of marijuana overdose. Overdose. Now, I'm not saying that you couldn't 
smoke it, smoke it, smoke it, and end up having some health condition that could kill you. But they're, they don't, they, they don't register as far as marijuana overdose. According to a 1988 ruling from the DEA, the marijuana user would have to consume 20 to 40,000 times the amount of THC in a joint to be at risk of a fatal dose. So it's almost like a built-in protection that you're not going to overdose on. And maybe that has something to do with the fact that we have this endocannabinoid system in the body that reacts with these specific cannabinoids in marijuana. You know, I don't know, but I mean... On the other hand, the CDC does not even have a category for deaths caused by the health effects of marijuana. A study published by Scientific Reports in January 2015 found that the mortality risk associated with marijuana was approximately 11,400% less than that of alcohol. Well, with all these cannabinoid receptors in the body that have beneficial effects, if taken in the right way at the right dose, you know, this type of stuff. And I don't mean abused for a medical condition. Well, yeah, I mean, that, I can understand that. It has an 11,400% less uh, chance of a mortality risk than that compared to uh, alcohol. What would it be compared to tobacco? The commonly displayed tobacco products you have nowadays. I mean, if tobacco is causing... 480,000 deaths per year and alcohol is only doing 88,000 well then it would be even more than 11,400% if you compared marijuana with tobacco now remember again they're putting a lot of extra stuff in the tobacco it's addictive of course marijuana is not harmless either excessive use can lead to respiratory discomfort although the drug itself has not been linked to lung damage I don't really buy that I think you do enough of that stuff Okay. Studies have also shown that cannabis can be addictive, however, much less addictive than alcohol and even less than caffeine. I I can tell you one thing. From the times I've done it in the past, I had no desire to, like, I got to have it. I just, I don't, I can't even relate to people that, let's say they don't have it for some chronic condition they're using to keep in check medically. I don't really understand wanting to do it, you know, like on a daily or frequent daily basis i don't really i can't really comprehend it i'm just not wired that way i guess okay i'm not judging them i'm just not wired that way anyway however it's much less addictive than alcohol and even less addictive than caffeine uh that's not i mean more more people are addicted to caffeine than probably anything that's not to say that marijuana can't be habit forming between four to nine percent of regular pot users can develop dependence on the drug According to a frequently cited survey supported by the National Institute on Drug Abuse, that's compared with about 15% of drinkers who develop a dependence on alcohol. Okay, now, this is from a listener um, in Oregon. Well, he lived in Oregon at one time. Okay, long-time listener, one of the best Christians I know, literally. I mean, this guy is so in love with Jesus Christ I mean, I feel like a garbage Christian reading his emails a lot of times. Not because he's trying to make me feel bad, just because he's just super, super, like, absolutely head over heels in love with Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not saying I'm not in love with Jesus Christ, but there are different levels of Christians out there, and this guy is absolutely, totally 
Like, he, he's like we should all be, honestly. And I, I've been praying a lot more about this. God is the one that gives that, that unbelievable desire that he displays. God gives that. And we're all at different levels in our walk with Jesus Christ. And some of us have different attributes that are a lot stronger than maybe other Christians out there. Um, I tend to have a lot of, uh, I think I've been given a lot of faith in certain areas. Like, I would just love to just be able to go out and just literally engage pure evil as my full-time ministry. And I mean that literally. I, I mean, I've said that before, and you could say, well, you're acting big about it. No, I'm saying that literally that makes me so happy, the thought of it, that I, I mean, to me, I can't imagine a better thing I could possibly do where I would feel closer to God than literally going and engaging pure evil. And I mean cryptozoological type stuff. I mean the stuff that's going to be coming out of the woodworks probably as it was in the days of Noah. So shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. I've always felt like that's where I was going to end up. Once this ministry is either, you know, let's say they take us off or whatever. Um, um, And so different Christians have different strengths and I'm not even going to say weaknesses. They might just might have a really propensity or very hard strength in, in a particular area where they're just um, almost naturally God gave them an abundance of, you know, an attribute in one area. And, and the body talks about, or the Bible talks about that, the body of Christ. Can the finger say to the eye, depart of me, I have no need of you? So you might have one Christian that's really, really strong in one area, and maybe not so strong and struggles in other areas. And, and another Christian that's really, really strong in that area, but maybe they're weak. And, uh, and so this isn't to go around and judge other people. It's just that this guy's one of the best Christians I know of. And he's, he's, um, um, he's underwent a tremendous amount of persecution. And that's all I'll say. But I emailed him about this subject. And I had no idea I was going to get this reply back okay because my research into um the glaucoma i've researched everything okay about this in like the last i don't know we're going on three months now not not quite no we're, we're going about at, at about two months since i've been dealing with this okay where i'm almost i made a little bit of improvement in my right eye okay but i mean i'm talking i have thrown everything i could possibly know at this thing this glaucoma and i'm not getting worse i have seen some improvement but it's very little tiny baby steps and it's something where you know yeah if i have to live this way you know i've just asked the lord to give me the grace to deal with it i I asked him don't take i've asked him not to please take the the remaining sight i have away you know um my left eye's good um but I know that once you, you get it in, in one eye, there's been damage in the other as well. It's just it hasn't manifested uh, near as much like my one eye. So I've been researching, and the, the thing I've known about forever and ever and ever, I mean, I can remember my dad used to get this magazine called High Times. I mean, that's, you know, like I said, they were big-time uh, pot smokers. And I remember, like, being out in the TV room and like, going through these magazines with my friends and stuff, and we'd be looking at this and, like, Oh, wow, look at this, and thinking how, you know, whatever cool it was or whatever at the time. And I grew up in a very, very secular <laughs> household, okay? 
And I can remember in that magazine this thing called Jayaday. Jay is like an older, like, I don't know if they still use it, term like from the 70s, maybe the 80s, they would call a joint. And what it was is it was a med- it was like for medical use, and it was when they first started using marijuana in a medical application, the first thing they ever, ever used it for that they got absolutely, you know, tangible results on was glaucoma. And I remember that article. And I don't know why, because I remember hardly anything else from ever looking at those magazines, other than maybe like, whoa, there was a strain of whatever. And But I can remember that, that like, almost the picture of it. It was called J-Day, and it was for somebody that they would smoke uh, marijuana joint a day, and it would keep their uh, glaucoma eye pressures in check. And it that does work. I mean, there's no doubt about it. And it's because of this endocannabinoid system that God put there. And so, in my research, I found that there was a gentleman, and I'm sure this has been reproduced over and over, uh, I believe it was in California, and um, he uh, got closed angle glaucoma, which is way worse than what I got. I got open angle. That's like, closed angle gives you, I mean, it's like severe pain. You get like the worst headaches you can imagine. It's like debilitating. Okay. It is bad news. And and this is the only thing he was ever able to discover and find that actually worked for him. And that it actually reversed the actual damage to the optic nerve. But he was actually, he was, I think he was blinded one eye. It went, he went, and then he actually started being able to see again because of, of this. But what he used was something called Rick Simpson oil which is a specific extract of the cannabis that is like the, um, for glaucoma, you're supposed to use indica. There's two major strains of marijuana, indica and sativa. And this one you would use indica strain and you make this stuff called Rick Simpson oil. And, and um, there's a guy named Rick Simpson that told everybody about this and it's this big revolutionary thing. Now, just doesn't work for glaucoma. They've used it for uh, cancer, um, all kind of stuff, okay? And there's a lot of people getting cured from cancer from doing this, okay? And, I mean, we're going to be looking at this subject today because, you know, I, honestly, I, I, I had to repent for, to God because all I've ever done is demonize this, 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 uh, any, any application. I just threw the baby out with the bath water. It's all bad. I've gotten big time arguments with my listeners and stuff. And, um, you know, like I said, I'm not, you're not ever going to get me to a point where it's like, yeah, man, let's do it to get high all the time. No, you're never going to get me there. But the medical applications of this stuff are absolutely undeniable. And the fact that God put in the endocannabinoid system in our body, and it's the largest receptor system in the body, has to mean something. And that there's really only one plant that can actually interact with that properly. All right, sorry, I had to take a little break there. Um, and so I was just researching this subject, um, and I found this Rick Simpson oil stuff that you know has been used for a myriad of different things. Uh, cancer, um, long-term pain control, uh, people that were addicted to opiates, Opiate-based painkillers like, you know, the OxyContin and all this stuff. 
the the list goes on and on and on of all the things that have been helped and or cured. Uh, and I'm not saying it's just Rick Simpson oil, but it's it's just um, a lot of the different medical uses for cannabis. It's undeniable. It's absolutely undeniable, and it's a big reason why it's been so targeted. And we're going to talk extensively about that because it's such a competition to the opiate-based painkillers that they're making a killing off, and they're getting all these people addicted to. Uh, also, they don't want any com- competition in oncology with cancer. They don't want any of that. Uh, this could just just the the cannabis alone with how you can use it to treat cancer. Uh, that alone would devastate the oncology industry. Uh, has the potential, if it were widespread. Uh, but it's been so demonized that a lot of people are very, very reluctant. And they they don't want to be stigmatized and this and that. So this is from my listener John, and he said, "I used to make the RSO, which is called Rick Simpson oil, for cancer patients in Oregon." Testing at 90% is good, meaning the one, what I had saw is that the Rick Simpson oil you needed for glaucoma was like 90% and it was of an indica strain. And then he says, but the fact is, is once you get above the 75% range, 75% THC is what he means, it really doesn't affect you in a stronger way. There's just so much, there's only so much your body can absorb. I know all about the oil, I no longer make it, but the bottom line is a couple of things. Number one, never buy it online. Too expensive, can't get it for cheap, and it's low quality, and it's also not Rick Simpson oil. Anything you get online is not going to have any THC. Now, granted, I don't want to do THC. Um, I have been doing, like personally me, I've been doing CBD oils. Okay, The CBD oils are a component of the cannabis that has a lot of very good health benefits, and we'll discuss that, okay? A lot of people can be helped from that, but it's not something that's going to really do very much for what I have with glaucoma. Uh, I wish that wasn't the case, but in my particular case, in for cases like cancer and um, really um, people trying to get off opiate-based painkillers, now some have been able to do it with CBD oil. Uh, it, it just depends on the individual, and I think it depends on what they're trying to accomplish and that type of stuff. Uh it also depends on the quality of what you're getting, and that's like the Wild West out there. So he says, even though people will call it Rick Simpson oil, if it was true RSO with THC, depending on the state, it would be a crime to order it online, even if even if it had a small percentage of THC. All these laws are to keep us sick in the end. Absolutely. And we're going to prove that today. So making it is easy. There is an exact protocol. So I guess you can make the Rick Simpson oil. The difference between online and the like is if you are able to go to a dispensary is obviously the THC, meaning a dispensary where they have, um, like, where they actually sell cannabis products. And they have those, like, in the states where it's legalized. There is a place out here that specifically focuses on cancer patients and RSO, Rick Simpson oil. Okay, and he's in Colorado now. They charge $30 or so a gram and you need a gram of the stuff, you just eat it. And that's that's the one thing really cool about if Rick Simpson oil, like for cancer or pain control, you don't, from what I understand, you don't smoke it, you ingest it. So you're not having to, to worry, you're not having to smoke it, burn it, and get that in your lungs. And I mean, ugh, I, I, don't, I just don't like that. Um, so you ingest it. 
They charge, uh, at first it will mess you up and give you the needed sleep, but you want to cure the condition and it's worth it. Meaning a lot of times when you start this, you're going to sleep a lot because your body is repairing. Those cannabinoid, those endocannabinoid receptors are actually being, that lock and key system is being engaged. And that's what's actually healing you. And, and yes, is it going to make you just from, especially if it's an indica strain, is it going to make you more um, tired? Yeah, but you're actually healing uh, in that process. It's part of the healing process um, because you need rest. Your body's repairing itself. That's what's actually what's going on there. Um, it will help your muscles and your back big time. I just didn't mean a little bit. It will blow your mind the relief you get. But yes, ordering online is no good. You need real RSO tested testing high in CBD as well. That stuff works. I've seen it work for years on other people. For example, in Denver, I could go to a dispensary and get good quality CBD. The problem is CBD is activated by the THC. So see, that's the, that's the part that you know makes you feel high, the THC, not the CBD. Uh, it's activated by THC, so there must be the ratio for it to work. It's, it's almost like God put it in one package and you need the whole package. Most of the time, well, for certain conditions, you do. For, not for everything. Okay, uh, I've ordered it online before. It's overpriced. It's not good quality. There are certain strains people use for a particular use. You need to get, you need to have up to a gram a day of the CBD oil from an oral syringe, and it should be black and really sticky stuff. Usually, they don't mix it with olive oil to change the consistency. Anyway, it says you need the real RSO. It won't work at all. Uh, now, grant this isn't just glaucoma. This is cancer. This is um, certain uh, people that are trying to get off opiate-based painkillers. Um, Parkinson's that's helped. There's a host of, of diseases that have actually been cured here. And I'm only talking about a few of them. Um, but to be real RSO and work, it involves the whole plant, not just an element of the plant. Uh, like CBD alone may treat pain, but it will not work to treat, let's say, cancer cells or glaucoma, Parkinson's, severe chronic pain, etc. This is all like doing a cleanse. Once a tolerance is built, it becomes easier and easier to take the medication. Your circulation feels wonderful, and all around it works. Uh, seeing too many people treat major illness with it, it can be kind of hard on the stomach acid a little bit, but not much. Now, I asked him, I said, what do you think about the potential for the evil spirits being connected to something like marijuana, this plant? And I talked about that in my previous study, but what I was talking about in that particular regard were occultists that were using it in occult ceremonies. Now, they were also using coffee. They were using um, tobacco. They were So it's like anything that you dedicate to Satan has the potential to have evil attached to it. Okay. Now, we're not talking about something like cocaine or meth or something that literally they, they use like all these unbelievably toxic chemicals to, to make it. We're talking about something that's, you know, like, the CBD oil, just like the distilled essence of, you know, the indica cannabis plant, certain parts of it. Um, I think it's, I think there's a big deal when you talk about cocaine, meth, illicit drugs synthetically made in a, in a laboratory setting. I, I think there's a huge, huge difference. So I asked him this question about what, what his opinion was, because obviously he's worked with this. He's like, in this particular case, he's made Rick Simpson oil. He's got a lot of exposure to it. He's used it to help and heal other people with it. And so I want to get his take on it. 
And he says, so the evil spirit thing connected to the cannabis could be questionable and even sensational to some degree, as I've met so many doctors and even Christians who have major illness and are using it every day for their medication. Now, remember, this isn't the, this isn't the pot-smoking, uh, like, burnout on his mom's couch in his basement eating Hot Pockets and playing video games. Like, yeah, man, let's get high. And This isn't that. We're not in reference to that because, yes, I do believe there's, there's evil associated with that. Okay, we're talking about using it from a medical standpoint to help people with medical conditions get cures that they can't get from any other thing because this endocannabinoid system is in the body and it specifically inter interworks with cannabis and God put that endocannabinoid system in the body. So there's got to be a reason it's there. Anyway, um... I've met so many doctors and even Christians who have had major illnesses and are using it every day for their medication and they seem to look and feel great. I think that's why some could have a substantial desire for it, meaning they feel so good on it that you could say, well, it's addictive. And yes, this could get out of control, just like how people can't stop eating food that they know is bad for them. Well, that's just overeating. Physically, I can tell you I had zero withdrawals at the end of treatment. Yeah. You know, you know, so I, that's, a, that's the thing about it is that's why they say it's very, like, for most people, it's very non-addictive. And he had zero withdrawals. He, and you're going to hear his story about it. Because there was a reason he took it as well, and it was purely medical. Uh, also, the industry is surrounded by new age, for lack of better, and for lack of a better word, trash. And, and that's that's a big thing that turns people off. I mean... You know, you go if you were go to go into a typical head shop or whatever, which is what they call them, where they sell all like the paraphernalia to smoke the pot and stuff. And granted, that's what you would get in a state like North Carolina, where I'm at, where you know you can't sell the stuff, but you can sell everything you can possibly imagine to either vape it, smoke it, whatever. Okay, uh, yeah, typically you're not going to get a warm and fuzzy feeling going into those kind of places. Okay, and it's true that people make it into a spiritual thing and use it for meditation and like. Again, so praying over it is good, but I have never had a problem with it because in Oregon, the Christians I knew grew it and played good Christian music and did Bible studies in the crow room with all those good lights. So the plant was strong and a very healthy plant. If you sit there and curse the plant and swear at it, like in a negative environment, and abuse the growing process, the plant. Uh, defiantly responds in kind and plants do respond like that it's a proven fact if you go and you curse like if you have house plants and you you go by and they're in a negative environment you curse them it will affect a lot of times the way that they grow the kind of fruit they produce and this type of thing they are sensitive to that plants are um i've seen whole reports on that but the growers in colorado are the best in the world there's a big difference between also between sativa and indica which are the two major strains i had a hard time and i'm not going to go into all that but indica is more like really 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 super relaxes you okay uh, sativa actually can actually energize you believe it or not now i've never experienced that on when my did it way 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 in the past but it's what they say which is interesting I had a hard time with cannabis. I was, I had a hard time with cannabis, and then I was faced with a tumor on my kidney. Meaning he was probably more like the mindset I was in previously, and but then he had a tumor on his kidney. Then I tried it, learning over the years, and I'm so thankful for it. I can't tell you in how many ways it gave me such good health. I was blown away 
The reason I know so much is because of my tumor, and after it went away, I needed to help others any way I could. That's why he made the Rick Simpson oil when he was in Oregon. Uh, I'm like you. Uh, I'm like you don't I'm like you don't have to die from cancer is what he was telling people. I mean they're killing us, it would seem. Long, slow, drawn out battles with health. I mean chemo, radiation, that's what it is, you know, where they get all your money in the end. Long, slow, drawn out battles with health and the medical system loves it for the way of profit and for death care. It is a real sham more people can't get access. Well, you can see it's way, way too much competition to their medical pharma pharma cartels. And that's why it's so demonized. And we're gonna we're gonna look at that at length. Exact exactly the and this is another response he had. Exactly the cannabinoid receptors are in the eyes and other places in the body. This is what I meant about secondary immune system waking up. And this is why it will actually work in glaucoma because there's specific uh, cannabinoid receptors um, in the eyes, and that's why it's like the only thing that will actually can have the potential to reverse glaucoma. I think I can keep the eye pressures fine with, with my nutrient protocol, but reversing the damage to the optic nerve, I haven't figured that one out. Not at this point. I mean, I, I have probably done more research on this in the last two months than I've done on just about any other subject in recent memory. And I can't... This The only thing I've seen that has the potential to do this is the Rick Simpson oil. It's the only thing. I'm not saying there's not another thing. I'm not saying God could not heal me. Okay, but I'm just saying from my research where I'm at right now, and I mean not going the medical route, I'm, you know, having needles poked in my eyes or whatever. All of that, even they tell you medically that all it is is basically a temporary fix, and most people go blind anyway that go that route. Just a way to get your money and put you in the fear thing where, you know. Anyway, honestly, staying off drugs by Big Pharma is wonderful, and this stuff helps. I think that the legal states say opioid use in this state has dropped like 30 to 40%. Meaning, because they've introduced legalized marijuana that you can get legally, that the opioid use, which is far, far more risk, which is an absolute beyond gateway drug for heroin, because when you can't get the oxy pills anymore or whatever you're taking, because they're too expensive or your prescription runs out or whatever, then you can get heroin, which is four times the high and, and you know half the price or whatever, and then that's really bad. Well. Actually, since they've they've introduced uh, the opioids or, or the uh, medical marijuana in the legal states, they've had a massive reduction in opioid use because people can get off the opioids and just do, like the, in this particular case, medical marijuana for pain control, if that's what they're using it for. I'm glad you're getting the right info on the subject. Now, if you're doing opioids just because you're addicted to them and you're not even in pain just because you're addicted, well, then I think you could use the marijuana to get off the opioids and then once you're totally off that then you can use then you can just wean off the, the marijuana you know problem solved remember what he said there's very very low withdrawal rates well this could give you that time period to get off the opioids and then while you're withdrawing you're not going to really be feeling the effects of it because you're going to be doing the marijuana and then when you're and when you're done with all the withdrawals from the opioids then you can wean yourself off the other to me, that seems like the most logical thing you could possibly do if it comes to this subject. Um, here's, here's a study. Legalizing marijuana decreases fatal opioid doses, studies show. According to American Academy for Pain Medicine, this is medical, more than 100 million Americans suffer from chronic pain. In an effort to relieve the, that constant pain, the number of opioid 
opiate prescriptions has nearly doubled over the last decade. All this has been by design to get everybody on oxy so that it'll kill them and ultimately get them on the heroin and the fentanyl and then, you know, kill them and keep them in bondage. Today, opiates like hydrocodone, oxycodone, and morphine flood the streets, driving up addiction rates and fatal opiate overdoses. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention has officially labeled the problem as an opiate epidemic as results scramble to come up with a plan that combats the nation's dependence on opiates. They don't want to come up with any plan. They want to perpetuate it. It's how they're making money. This is how they're controlling people. I've done tons of studies on this recently about, you know, all these, these uh, the opiate addictions and, and how it's creating all these people that are going on heroin and then now they got fentanyl, which is even stronger. People are dying right and left because they're ODing. You know, a new study published last week in the JAMA, which is Journal of American Medicine, which is high as it gets about for medical, internal medicine indicates that medical marijuana might be the key as far as getting people off the opiates. Over the past two decades, deaths from drug overdoses have become the leading cause of death in the United States. My word. Well, hold on. Leading cause of injury death. Okay. I guess like sudden injury death. In 2011, 55% of drug overdoses deaths were related to prescription medications. 55% in 2011. 75% of those deaths involved opiate painkillers. However, researchers found that opiate-related deaths decreased approximately 33% in 13 states following six years after medical marijuana was legalized. So let me read that last sentence again. Researchers found that opiate-related deaths decreased by approximately 33%, one-third, in 13 states in the following six years after they imp- implemented medical marijuana in their state. And that's not even fully legalizing it. That's just the people that were getting medical marijuana, and they probably had to have a special card. Well, if it was actually available to everybody that couldn't get one of those cards, it would have probably been much higher. You can get people off the Oxycontin. I mean, potentially, I would think this would be a really great way to wean somebody off heroin. You know? They use methadone, though, and all this other... And I I think, well... Okay, why can't you do maybe both together initially and then wean them off the one, wean them off the, the methadone or whatever, and then just totally have them just on the medical marijuana and then wean them off that? Now, if it's a chronic pain condition that they're going to have the rest of their life, they're in a far better shape doing medical marijuana than they would ever be doing opiate-based painkillers where they're going to, you know, their life expectancy is probably going to be horrible. But that they don't want that. That's competition to the drug companies. The striking implication is that medical marijuana laws, when implemented, may represent a promising approach, may represent it, Beyond is does represent a promising approach for stemming runaway rates of non-intentional opioid analgesic-related deaths, wrote opiate abuse researcher Dr. Mark S. Brown and Marie J. Hayes in a commentary published alongside the study. Researchers looked at medical marijuana laws and death certificate data in all 50 states between the years 1999 and 2010. During that time, only 13 states had medical marijuana laws in place. Researchers quickly noted that the rates of fatal opioid overdoses were significantly lower in states that legalized medical marijuana. I mean, (laughs) proof's in the pudding. 
These are medical researchers admitting to this. They quickly noted that the rates of fatal opioid overdoses were significantly lower in states that had legalized medical marijuana. In 2010 alone, and that's what I'm talking about today. I'm talking about the medical uses. I'm not talking about Mr. Stoner buddy that, you know, talk about medical. In 2010 alone, states with legalized medical marijuana saw approximately 1,700 fewer opiate-related overdose deaths. We found that there was about a 25% lower rate of prescription painkiller overdose deaths on average after the implementation of medical marijuana law. Lead researchers, author Dr. Marcus Bachhuber said, about 60% of the nation's fatal opioid overdoses occur among patients who have legitimate prescriptions for their medications. Yeah. They're properly prescribed prescriptions and they're still killing people. In states where medical marijuana is legal, however, a legitimate opiate user is able to significantly decrease his or her dosage, making overdose less likely. Meaning, okay, at bare minimum, if you did the two together, you're not going to need near as much heroin or opiate-based painkillers. And I really do believe, you know, I, I would take a totally holistic approach to it. I mean, I would do a full joint protocol. I would make sure gentle chiropractic was was implemented if it was some kind of joint issue. I, I would do the stuff I know about, and let's say then at the same time implement medical marijuana and then slowly wean them off the opiate. And they're going to be getting better just from the protocol I'm doing alone with the nutrients and the general chiropractic Then and then maybe massage therapy. There's a lot of different modalities you can use. And then you implement the medical... I mean, you, you got the person totally off opiate-based painkillers probably in one to two months if you do that see i'm a big i'm a big person for synergy let's do let's do a whole bunch of stuff let's just not even rely on the medical marijuana because if you have let's say a huge subluxation at the fifth lumbar misalignment of the lower back no amount of miracle medical marijuana is going to realign that bone all subluxation is is a hard bone on a soft nerve and it causes pain it's like the oil light coming on in your car it's it's just telling you there's a problem it's it's not you, you think of pain as in terms of negative but it's your body's warning system it's positive from that standpoint so um you know i do everything because then you would then you could even get off the marijuana way quicker because that would be my ultimate goal is, is to be able to get you totally off everything and just have your body heal itself if it's possible I know one thing, it's a whole lot healthier in, in having somebody just take opiates for the rest of their life and die or, or get hooked on heroin and doing nothing else to heal the body. It's exactly what Satan wants. Uh, so, going further, currently 23 states in the District of Columbia have passed medical... The 23, 23 states and the District of Columbia have passed medical marijuana laws. Use of medical medicinal cannabis is approved for a number of conditions, including cancer... HIV, multiple sclerosis, and glaucoma. Despite the diagnosis, medical marijuana is primarily used to retrieve to relieve chronic or severe pain. It's that pain relieving effect that decreases the number of fatal opioid overdoses. Absolutely. And here's some more studies if you don't believe that. Uh, one is uh, major pain relieving components of cannabis. There's a link to that. Um, Here's another one. Watch the study. Uh, marijuana beats opioids for pain. I'm not going to play all these because, you know, I just don't have the time. But that's all I have for part 
two, and let's go to part three next here. So God bless you, and we will see you in part three.